Once we have discovered God, what happens next? If we've come to the place where we see how utterly pure and loving God is, and how sinful and selfish we are, and if we can see that we need forgiveness for our sins, then Jesus says we must repent. Repentance is an old-fashioned word that simply means changing direction. The verb repent means to feel sorry for something you've done. When you repent, you acknowledge what you did and vow to change your ways. The word repent comes from the old French word repentir, which means to feel regret for sins or crimes. When we repent, asking God to forgive us for our sin, God promises two things. He promises to forgive us, and He promises to give us His Holy Spirit to live in us and strengthen us in our walk with Him. This is the beginning of the transformation process. We literally become a new creation. The transformation process has begun. Now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, our goal is to become like Jesus. Here's Pastor Allen to continue his series, Conversions. Morphosis from a tree-clinging, 12-legged pest into a majestic flying butterfly is one of the most used metaphors to describe what we would call a 180 transformation. You'll notice that there's two arrows on the platform, and some have wondered, what do those arrows stand for? Well, very simply this. It means that where, as before you became a Christian, you were going in that direction. Once you were transformed, you started going in that direction. That's literally what we mean when we talk about transformation. I want us just to think for a moment about this metamorphosis or transformation. You think of the lowly caterpillar. He's, he's a humble, ugly-looking little creature, at least for most of us. He moves slowly. He is gravity-bound. He's, uh, yeah, comparatively ugly. He just lives to eat and to gorge himself on leaves. It really is a little creature that just exists. Eats, and we, I assume it sleeps. Eats, sleeps, eats, sleeps. Until one day, it finds itself clinging to a branch or a leaf, turns itself upside down, and spins a cocoon around its body. This is what we call the incubation process or the chrysalis stage. What happens inside of that cocoon is actually quite gross. This caterpillar that has been gorging itself with food lets off an enzyme that literally digests its body so that if you cut open the cocoon at just the right time, out will gush a fluid. It's absolutely amazing. This creature that was a worm is now in the stage of transformation. It's become literally an ooze. In that chrysalis, the, the... DNA of that creature is busy and at work until finally 
What emerges from that cocoon is a beautiful butterfly or moth. It's no longer ugly. It's no longer bound by gravity. It soars above the ground. This ugly little worm is now literally a brand new creature. I first heard Marilyn Wedlake share that story many, many years ago about the transformation and the transformation of a human being. I got to tell you, it's to me still one of the very best metaphors to explain what happens to you and I when we become Christians. God takes us through a phase, a stage, where we are transformed and we come out completely different people. And here's the thing, folks. For a lot of people who go to church their whole life through, they never come to the place where they fully understand that to be converted, to become a, become a Christian, means that you become a brand new creation. God is not in the renovation business. I don't know if you realize that. I don't know if anybody here has ever done a, re- a renovation, but uh, I have, and I, I've lived in, in the midst of that for many years. My mom's here and she understands exactly what I'm talking about. It just seems to never end. It's just never right, just never right, just never right. God is not in the renovation business. He's in the business of creating a brand new you. The old you is dead. The fat worm that you were is dead. And by the power of God, you become a brand new creation. The miracle of conversion, I'm going to tell you, still holds me in awe after all these years. How many have been enjoying the conversion videos that we've been showing at the end of the messages? Can you just give a nod or do whatever you like to do? Yeah. And you've got, we got a really good one for you this morning again. Oh, my goodness. You're going to love this. It still thrills me. And I'm going to say this to you, too. If you're one of these people today who's been converted, you're a brand new person, you know that Jesus Christ has changed you at some point in your life. You know that you definitely have moved from caterpillar to butterfly. We want to hear your story. We'd love to, we'd love to share it with the whole congregation. But this is what conversion is. God takes a wretch of a sinner and transforms that wretched worm into a beautiful butterfly. This is at the core of the Christian faith. This is who we are. This is what we teach. This is the gospel that we share. And I'm going to tell you this today. This is what God wants for you. God wants you to be a butterfly. Now, I need to remind everybody of something. Again, at the very core of the Christian faith, at the very core of, of what we teach is this, Luke 19.10, and you all know it, for Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. For Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. That's Luke 19.10. Now, Jesus wants you to be transformed. God wants you to move from, your, from the old you to the new you. He wants you to experience real life. He wants you to move from that place of existing where all you do is just gorge yourself and sleep, gorge yourself and sleep. I mean, you see that as as a metaphor 
for, for life without Christ. He wants you to move to that place where you begin to fly, and you begin to do what God created you to do. This is what transformation is all about. So can I ask you a question this morning? Are you a butterfly or are you a worm? Have you made or experienced that transformation? And I need to challenge you that with this because here's what I know after being a pastor for so many years. There's a lot of people who go to church their whole life. There's a lot of people who grow up in the church. There's a lot of people who come to church and say, this is wonderful, I love coming here. I love hearing sermons, I love giving my money. I, well, maybe they don't like doing that. But I love, I love worshiping, I love being involved in the, in the programs of the church. But they've never moved to that place where they could say, hey, you know what, I actually have been converted. I'm a new person. And so I'm not taking anything for granted here this morning. I'm assuming that there are people here that have not yet moved from caterpillar to butterfly. Now, if you're one of those people and you're, you're saying, you know, Pastor, I, I really want to become a butterfly. I, I don't want to be a worm anymore. I don't want to be a fat worm anymore. I don't, I don't want to just exist anymore. I want to live. I want to, I want to become what God wants me to become. Well, I'm going to share that with you this morning. And furthermore, those of you who are Christians, you need to understand this because when you are sharing your faith with somebody else, you need to know how to word your testimony or how to word your witness. You need to be able to say there was a moment of transformation, whereas before I was like this, when Jesus Christ came into my life, I became like that. You'll notice in the video clips that when a person is talking, when the person's talking about what they were before they were converted, it was black and white. How many noticed that? We've got, some, we've got clever people in our church, very clever people. And then when the person's converted, what happens? It's color. It comes to life. And we're doing that for a reason, because we're trying to help you understand the transformation that takes place. Now, how do we move from worm to butterfly? Well, I want to read to you a passage of Scripture from Luke 18, verses 10 to 14. Last week, we talked about discovery. When, when God discovers us, or when we discover God, depending on how you want to word that, but there's a discovery where suddenly you recognize, I got to have this. I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. I, I got to have that. So let's take a look and see what the Bible says here. Jesus tells a story of, of what true repentance looks like because repentance is the first step in any conversion. And by the way, there's a lot of people, again, who go to church their whole life who've never repented of their sin. So here's, here's what it looks like. Luke 18, verse 9. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everybody else. Anybody know anybody like that? They look down their nose. They, think, they really believe that they are more spiritual, more godly, more holy than everybody else. Well, Jesus is addressing, addressing this problem. And by the way, people who grew up in church tend to be a little bit like that. So Jesus begins. He says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Remember, whatever, everybody, I told you what a tax collector is. A tax collector is considered a dirty trader who has uh, 
who has collaborated with Rome and cheats and lies and steals, and he, the tax collector is the worst of sinners in the eyes of the Jews. So, we have this Pharisee who is admired and respected because of his position and because he is known as a truly spiritual person. And you've got this despised tax collector. They're in the temple and they're praying. In verse 11, it says, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. And I love this prayer. This, this is actually quite hilarious. It's so ridiculous. And the Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. Don't you love that, Deb? I thank you, God. I'm so good. I'm just so amazing. Oh, God, I'm so amazing. That's what he's saying. I'm not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, and I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there, that worm. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. God, I'm amazing, and I know you know I'm amazing. There's a lot of people like that. They really are quite amazing in their own eyes. But then there's a tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And Jesus, as I tell you, this sinner... Not the Pharisee, but this sinner returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I want to ask you a question this morning. Which one are you? I mean, Jesus is using two extremes. But the fact of the matter is, is that we fit into one or the other of those categories. Do you understand your need of God's grace and mercy in your life? Do you understand that before God, without Christ, you are a dirty sinner? Thanks a lot, Pastor. That's just what I wanted to hear this morning. Or do you really believe you are really a good person? Because here's the thing that you need to understand. In God's view, there are no good people. There are people who need Christ, and there are people who don't know Christ. That's one category. And there are those who understand their need of Christ and have come before God with great humility and a great awareness of their need for God's love and forgiveness. Do you understand that today? Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people go to church their whole life and n- never fully understand that. In fact, I know that there's some people here today who might even be offended at me saying that. In fact, I know of pastors who will not even use the word sin because they don't want to offend anybody. Now, it's not funny because Jesus uses that word repeatedly. So there's pastors out there who are more clever than Jesus. Did you know that? 
We have got some amazing pastors in North America, more clever even than Jesus. Wow. I'm going to tell you something today. Jesus says this about the gospel. He says it is an offense, and it can be very offensive. Isn't that right, Scott? It can be very offensive, because what it does is it puts a mirror up to you so that you see what you're really like. And you'll notice that with God, he doesn't pull any punches. Have you noticed that? He's going to tell you the truth, whether you like it or not. But how many know that hearing the truth is better than hearing lies? Hearing the truth is better than having somebody just gloss over what your real condition is. For example, you go to the doctor, you know you've got something wrong with you, but the doctor, not wanting to hurt your feelings or make you feel bad, says, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. Don't worry, go home, live it up, enjoy yourself. Go home and have a great big ice cream sundae. You don't look diabetic to me. You look fine to me. Now, what kind of a doctor would that be? You would say, that guy is a quack. Thank you. He's a lunatic. You go to the doctor, what do you want from the doctor? Give me all the facts. Tell me everything. Tell me what I need to do. What kind of a medication? How do I, what kind of changes do I need to make in my life? And you're going to hang on every word that doctor says because the doctor's job is not to make you feel good. The doctor's job is to tell you what your problem is. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart this morning because that's what church is all about. That's what listening to sermons is all about. It's not just to make you feel good. It's to make you understand who you are and what you need. But someone say, thank you, pastor? Because <laughs> some people don't like this kind of stuff. Pastor, when I leave here, I want to feel good about myself, and I don't want you to make me feel bad. Well, look, I don't, I don't want to make you feel bad either, but i got to tell you what you need to hear and not what you want to hear. And so here is this sinner, and here is this guy who really thinks he's pretty amazing. Now, here's the thing. If you've come to this place this morning where you see how utterly pure and how loving God is and... Conversely, how selfish you are and how sinful you are. And if you can see that you need forgiveness for your sins, then Jesus says this, you must repent. Get it? You must repent. You must turn away from your selfishness, your sinfulness, and you must turn to God and to his solution for your sin. Who's, what is the solution for your sin? Jesus, that's right, faith in Christ. Now, on the day of Pentecost, you remember that those early believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're, they spoke in tongues. Peter stands up to preach a sermon, and he, he basically shares the plan of God through the, through the ages, starting in the Old Testament and working his way through and showing the people that were sitting, standing there listening, and presumably there were like thousands maybe four, five, 6,000 people. And they're listening to this sermon, very, very aware of the Bible and, and of what the Scripture says because they grew up listening to this. And Peter shows them how, how Adam and Eve sinned and, 
and shows how the, the Moses brought to them the law and showed the people what God's will is and how they should live and how people kept falling short and how they kept sinning and how God sent his prophets and how they, they killed the prophets because they didn't want to hear the truth. Make me feel good. Don't tell me the truth. People are always like that. And Peter says, and finally, God sent Jesus Christ. And what did you do to Jesus Christ? You killed him. You nailed him to a cross. And then Peter says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. And the Bible says that Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Suddenly they're aware of how evil and how wicked they are and how much they need God's grace. And they, what should we do? And Peter says, I'm glad you asked that question. And here's how he replies in Acts 2.38. Could you put that up, please? And Peter replied, each of you must what does repent mean? You're going in that direction. Now you're going in that direction. You're going in a completely different direction. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn away from your sins, and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Today I want to say this to you. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you'd say, Pastor Allen, I know that I have repented. I know I've asked God to forgive me my sins, and now I want to get baptized. Then you need to talk to me. You and I need to have a discussion, and I'm going to help you move to that next phase. I'm going to, I'm going to bring your transformation to its full conclusion so that you can go on to the next phase, which I'm going to talk about next week. If you have not yet been baptized, I want to encourage you to be baptized. If you're baptized as a baby, I would encourage you to get baptized as an adult because it's your decision. Now you have repented, and now you are being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible says, then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. This is what repentance is all about. Repentance is an old-fashioned word that simply means changing direction. And when you repent, you're acknowledging your sins before God, and you're making a vow to God, God, with the grace that you give me, I'm going to change directions, and I'm going to live the way you want me to live. Repentance means to feel regret for your sins or for your crimes. I'm going to stop for a moment, because as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit's telling me, i got to tell you something. You may be here today and feel that you became a Christian, you repented, you were baptized, maybe you even spoke in tongues, but since that time, you have really messed up. You have really, really gone backwards. Whereas when you first got saved and you remember the day, you were happy about it, you changed directions Somehow, you ended up going back to the way you were going before. And you're sitting here today thinking, there's no hope for me. I can't change. Well, I want to tell you something right now. 
The Spirit of God is here, and he's speaking to you. You can't change yourself. But the power of God can. And this is why God puts you in a family. We call it the family of God. This notion, this idea that you can be a Christian and not go to church and be part of the family of God is the biggest lie from the pit of hell that I've ever heard. You need to get reconnected to your family, and you need to get the help that you need so that you can be helped on this journey, so that you can get yourself back on track and going in the right direction. I'm going to tell you, God loves you. God loves you. You might not love yourself. You you might despise yourself. In fact, you might feel like that fat caterpillar just existing, but God's here today to tell you that he loves you and he's calling you back on track. For so many people, they think, man, as soon as I make a mistake, it's over. That's Satan lying to you. Here's what you need to know today. You may have failed God, but God will never fail you. You may have given up on God, but God has not given up on you. And even at this very moment, the Spirit of God, in his grace and in his mercy, has caused me to stop in the middle of my message to tell you that. So listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. Come talk to your pastor, because that's what God's called me to do. I'm not a necessary evil, folks. I'm appointed by God to help you. I'm here to be your guide. And for that, I'm going to answer to God. So if you're off track, come speak to me, and we're going to talk about what we need to do to get you back on track. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. But you can't be a Pharisee. you got to come like that tax collector and completely confess your sin and ask for help. And the Bible says that God will, as he did for the tax collector, he will justify you. And that simply means he'll make you right with God. What's the difference between the Pharisee and between the tax collector? Very simply, this. It was all in the attitude. The Pharisee had an attitude of self-righteousness, The tax collector had an attitude of sorrow for his sin. That's it. You say, Pastor Allen, how many times can God forgive me? That's a really good question. To answer that, let me remind you of what Jesus said to one of his disciples when the disciple asked, how many times should I forgive somebody who sinned against me? What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven times. Now, if that is the human standard for forgiveness, what do you think that the divine standard is? I can tell you it's a lot more than 70 times seven. God will forgive you and forgive you and forgive you and forgive you. Someone count 740 times. Forgive you. No, don't, we won't do that. The thing, though, that you have to understand is you can't just go on living a wicked life, you need to have that attitude of repentance. See, for some people, this notion or this idea, I become a Christian and I repent and that's the end. But what Jesus is calling us to is a life of repentance. 
where you constantly are repenting. You're constantly coming before God. You're constantly praying what Jesus taught us to pray. What did he teach us to pray? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Folks, this is the Christian faith. This is the pure, unadulterated Christian faith that was handed down to us from Christ and the apostles. Forgive us. And the Bible says that if we, for, if we ask God to forgive us of our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I can tell you that that verse is probably in my top five, the most encouraging passages of Scripture in the Bible. Yes, your pastor needs God's forgiveness. Did that shock you? Good. And if it did shock you, get over it. So you repent. You've changed directions. You've asked God to forgive you of your sins. Now what? Well, let's look at the butterfly and the caterpillar for a moment. The butterfly and the caterpillar, they don't just look different, people. They behave differently too. Let the Spirit of God speak to you. This is fantastic. The butterfly and the caterpillar, they don't look different. They actually behave differently too. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. What are the changes? How do we now live now that we've given our hearts to Christ, now that we've been transformed, now that we've been through the metamorphosis, now that we've digested ourselves and, and, and come out a brand new creature? What happens? We're going to talk about that next week. The new behaviors, the new way of living. One lives in a tree and the other flies. Which one do you want to be? Most importantly, one eats leaves and the other solely feeds on nectar. Wow. What are you feeding on? What are you ingesting? What is shaping you and forming you? Why would you want to leave the nectar behind and go back to eating leaves? Have you ever tried to eat a leaf? Why would you ever want to leave that behind? You see, this is the transformation that happens when we give our lives to Christ. When we repent, asking God to forgive us of our sins, God promises us two things. First of all, he promises to forgive us. And then secondly, and this is where the transformation happens, and, and we read that, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, when you ask Christ into your life, when you've repented and asked ask God to forgive you of your sins, then something amazing happens. He gives you his Holy Spirit who comes to live inside of you. Did you get that? In fact, Paul says that that Holy Spirit in you is the seal that, that proves that you belong to God. And when you stand before Christ someday, it's going to be the fact that you've got that Holy Spirit dwelling in you. So now you're transformed. You've been changed. You are no longer the old you. You are a new you. This is the beginning of the transformation process. Like a butterfly, you are literally a new creation. Now, I want you to look at this passage of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.17, and the Apostle Paul, 
he drives us home. This means, would you read this with me? This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Ruth, welcome home. Secondly, is it amazing that you're a new Ruth? Brand new Ruth. You belong to Jesus. The old Ruth is dead, was buried, symbolized in baptism, raised to life, a brand new person. You haven't been baptized yet. you got to talk to me. This transformation process has begun, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, now your goal is to actually become like Christ. Did you get that? Say with me, I need to become Christ-like. Tell the person beside you, I need to become Christ-like. What'd they say? They say, impossible? <laughs> For me, maybe you. Uh. You say, well, what does it mean, Pastor Allen, to become Christ-like? What does that mean? I, I like it when you ask me questions. What was Jesus like? What did he do? Well, I'm going to let Jesus tell you that. I'm going to let Jesus answer that question himself. Here's what Jesus says. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Jesus said that. His will, or his food, is to do the work of God and to do God's will. Now let the Spirit of God begin to open your eyes to see how you need to be living. This is why we have habit number three, which is moment-by-moment holiness. Doing the will of God and not doing your will. Alan, every time you do your will, you're not being Christ-like. Every time you do God's will, you're getting it right. And all the angels in heaven are, yay, Alan. Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. John 5, 19. Are you starting to get the picture here of what it means to be like Christ? You're doing what God wants you to do. You're not doing your will. This is why Jesus teaches us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. Now, if Jesus says this, that, God, that he's come from heaven to do not his own will, but the will of God, then guess what? You need to do God's will too. And this is the problem with Christianity in North America today, is that we do not want to do God's will. We want to do our own will. If anything, we're saying, Father, let me do my will, and I'll I'll, I'll do something good for you. Father, let me do my will, and I'll give a bit of extra in the offering plate. Father, let me do my will, and I'll go on a missions trip. Father, let me do my will, and I'll get involved at the church, and I'll make Janet happy. I'll sign up to serve somewhere. But God, just let me do my own will. And God says, no deal. No deal. 
If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want this transformation to be complete, then you need to be willing to say, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is where we separate the sheep from the goats. This is how we discover who really is a Christian and who really is not a Christian. I'm not being judgmental. I'm not condemning. I'm just saying that this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let me close with this example. Jesus lived not for himself. Do you get that? Jesus calls us to a life where we are literally living for other people all the time. And if you're a parent this morning, you really got a feel for that, right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. But your job is to live the way God has called you to live, and that means living for others. Jesus, that's what Jesus said. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Now, watch this, watch this, watch this, watch this. When you say, God, I'm willing to follow Jesus and to live that unselfish life that Jesus lived, folks, that's when you discover the difference between living like a worm and living like a butterfly. I, I got chills going up and down my spine right now. The difference between living like a worm and living like a butterfly. When you live like a worm, it's all about me, 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 give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. All about me. I got to gorge myself and everything I want. Give me, give me, give me. But when you start to live the way Jesus has called you to live and to give your life in full surrender to him, folks, that's when you begin to fly. That's when you begin to live. That's when you begin to see with new eyes. That's when your heart becomes full of the power and the spirit of God. Because that's when we are most like Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts and in our lives. Thank you for this transformation. The evidence that we've been transformed, that we're not an ugly worm but a beautiful butterfly, is that now we live completely for others as Jesus did. So God, I pray this morning that you do that special work in the hearts of everybody here. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's watch this next video clip.